talking about you know, perhaps what the future holds for the well. What could we do in the future? What, what is God calling us to? What does God have in mind for us? So we're talking about vision. So first of all, what is a vision? If you're a note taker, I invite you to pull out your phone, the notes app on your phone. There might be some things you want to write down today because we're not just talking about vision as a church. We're talking about vision that can apply to your life. Um, I'll mention here in a second, but Stephen Covey, who's the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, step two is begin with the end in mind. And he'll say that everybody should have a, a vision statement written down. And so maybe as I talk about the church, maybe you're thinking about the church, hopefully, but also about your own vision. Maybe you're starting a new venture. Maybe it's a vision for your family and, and who you want to be as a family. Maybe it's a vision for yourself, your own personal growth, but you might want to write some things down in your notes today. So first of all, what is a vision? <clears throat> I have a day job. I work 40 hours a week outside the church, and uh, it's a blessing to my family. It's a blessing to this church as well, and I put in about 20, 25 hours as a pastor of the well, so I stay pretty busy, but we're blessed people, and we're thankful here on this Thanksgiving week. And um, Thursday morning, I was driving on the 101 North up to my, my day job, and where the 101 goes underneath Southern Avenue, if you know where I'm talking about, there's kind of a dip in the 101. So you can see pretty far ahead you know, up the 101. And I could see maybe a half mile ahead that traffic was coming to a stop. I could just see brake lights across whatever it is, six or seven lanes of traffic. And I could see that cars were moving from the center lane, either merging left or merging right. And so because of that dip in the 101, I could see, you know, probably a half mile ahead. And as I looked ahead, I thought, you know, probably what happened is somebody in the center lane, you know, they rear-ended the car in front of them, and both cars stopped, and, and so, you know, there are cars that are trying to drive uh, each direction around them. So here was my choice. I could just stay in the center lane, because that's where I was, and just kind of stay in the traffic jam and get all the way up there, and then, oh, now I have to merge left, or I, now I have to merge right. Or because of that dip in the freeway and the fact that I could see pretty far ahead of me, I could choose to act now. That's vision. When we're able to see ahead, and of course you can't really look into the future as well as you can look down the 101, but, or the 101, but we can at least, there are some ways to, to help us. We can see what's coming up ahead of us, and then we can choose to act now and not just wait, because if we wait until we get to that point, what is it? It's too late. And so when we see what's happening up ahead of us, we can act now. That's vision. Again, if you're a note taker, here's how I define vision, and this is kind of a mashup of, of all kinds of leadership authors over the years. Uh, I think vision is an inspiring picture of a preferred future that produces passion in people. I think vision is an inspiring picture of a preferred future that produces passion in people. Vision is something that you want to happen. As you look down the road of your life, you, you look ahead and this is something that you want to happen. It's your preferred future. It's what you hope for. You're looking ahead and, and maybe it's only in your mind. Of course it's only in your mind or on paper or on a screen, but you're looking ahead and you're, this is what... This is what I want my life or my business or my family or my church or whatever it is to be like at some point in the future. Here's a picture painted for me. And it, you, you paint it in as much detail as you can. And sometimes you even feel presumptuous. Like, I don't know. Life's, life's a little unpredictable. But the point of a vision is to paint a picture of a preferred future. What does it look like? And so if you're figuring out a personal vision statement or one for your family or business or venture, whatever it is you're doing... Now is not the time to use the edit button. When you're trying to figure out what, you know, what is my vision, what does that picture of a preferred future look like for me, trash the edit button. Just forget about the edit button. You just write, 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 write. It's not like you have to have a vision statement perfect the first time you write it down. But just maybe it starts by brainstorming. What does that look like for me? And be honest. Listen to your gut. What does that look like? What is that picture of a preferred statement or preferred future for me? And just write those things down. And when you look at, at that vision, that picture that you've painted, what it does, a few things, is it, it tells you what to aim for to get to your preferred 
future. Again, if you're a note taker, it'll be on there. Vision tells you what to aim for. If this is the picture of where I'm headed, well, then I'm going to start doing things that, that at least get me in that direction. Vision also gets you through tough times. Because how many of you realize in anything in life, anything worth doing, there are times that you will feel like giving up? Have you experienced that? When you're discouraged and you're like, man, this is just so hard. I, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. There are going to be times when you just get kicked in the gut. And you see that picture that you've painted out there. And you really question, is this worth it or not? A lot of people give up. A lot of people, they throw in the towel, they tap out. And, and they don't see that vision through. But the way that you're going to make it through, pressing through those dis discouraging times, is by looking at that vision. Vision gets you through the tough times. It gives you hope and inspiration. Vision is challenging. If it's a vision worth aiming for and giving your life for, it's not going to be easy. If it's easy, then maybe it's not a big enough vision. Maybe you could accomplish a lot more if it were more challenging. But, but a vision, by definition, is challenging. It's something that you're going to have to muster up your resources for. It's going to take blood, sweat, and tears. It's going to take sacrifice. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take commitment. You're going to have to be all in. So vision is challenging, and then and by my definition, you can see vision produces passion. It requires your best effort. It requires, you know, sweat equity. But here's the importance of passion in our world. No matter what it is that you're going for, you could, you could have a vision for your family and the way you want to raise your kids. This could be a vision for your career. Regardless, it doesn't matter. In our world, life is competitive and Life always throws you curveballs. And what wins in this life is passion. Let's say it's a vision about your career and you have two people who are, who are equally educated, equally experienced, equally gifted. And one has more passion than the other. Who's going to get the job? Passion wins. Now, we're thinking Christians, we want everybody to get the job, right? Like we don't want to live with cutthroat competition. But the truth is, in anything in life, if you don't go at it with passion, all the passion you can muster, you're going to run out of gas. And when you look at that, that picture of your preferred future, it produces passion in you. You know when you've really started to dial in on your vision, your unique calling, what, what God has for you. You know that you're really getting that picture painted when your heart starts beating faster. When you start to feel excited and motivated. And if that's not happening, it means you're not quite there yet. You'll, you'll know when you have that picture painted, when your heart starts beating faster and you, you start to feel passion that makes you want to work toward the fulfillment of that vision. So, do you have a vision? I talked to somebody this morning who's thinking about starting a business. That's going to that's gonna begin with a vision. Do you have a vision for your family? Again, Stephen Covey. The author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, Effective People says everybody should have a vision for themselves personally or for their family. And I know when you hear that, you think that's like for the, the Martha Stewart overachievers, the people who are going to write down a vision for my life. Come on. Well, why not? Is anything more important than your own growth or your family's growth? Why not maybe think about it? What would that look like for you? I guarantee you probably do have a vision. You have something in there. Maybe you haven't articulated it clearly. But maybe you could, and you would, you would benefit from it. After you wrote it down or typed it out, you would be glad you did. So here's a personal vision statement I'm working on. I don't have it on the screen. It's just something that I'm, that I'm kind of uh, working on. I will serve God's purpose in my generation by being a great husband and father and leading a movement of thinking compassionate churches. Right? And it's a work in progress. That's the first draft. Don't judge me. You know, I'm working on it. But that's, that's kind of a personal vision statement that I'm working on. What about you? If you were going to, you know, in your notes later, maybe you've already started in your notes app, if you were going like, to sit down this afternoon and kind of think, what is my vision? What is my vision for myself or my family or my career? Like, what, would, what are some words you might write down? What, what would that picture begin to look like for you to help you figure out your vision? You look at your history, your experience, your skills, your mission and your values, what, what, are you, what do you believe in life? What's important to you? Look at where you've been. Look at everything that's happened to you. And that, that all comes together to help you form your vision. As we think about the future of the well, I want to put our vision 
into perspective. So the lifespan of a church is about the same as the lifespan of a human. And we're seven and a half months old. So at this point in our, in our lifespan, we can roll over from our backs to our bellies. We're starting to do that as a church. Um, we, we're learning to transfer objects from one hand to the other as a church. Um, we can grab our toes now as a church. We, we're, we've been super good at blowing spit bubbles for a long time now. That's where we are at seven and a half months old as a church. A church looks a lot like a human in its lifespan. So maybe that kind of gives you the idea of how I think. I think our teams do a great job now. I'm proud of them. Like I said last week, you hit it out of the park or you, you, you spiked the ball or whatever sports metaphor for scoring points that you would like to use. You did that last week, and that's seven and a half months in. What if filling up this room at seven and a half months is the equivalent of blowing spit bubbles? compared to what we will do 10 years from now or 20 years from now? What would it look like if that's what, we're, if, if that's what grabbing our toes looks like as a seven-and-a-half-month-old church? What will five years look like? What will 10 years, what will 30 years look like? As the, what could we accomplish when, as we're reaching our potential and we're maturing and when we're fully grown and running on all cylinders? Maybe that's a good way to think about our vision as a church. So... At only seven and a half months old, I'm going to recap a couple of highlights. It doesn't take too long, but there are some things to celebrate. And again, these won't be on the screen, but just for your info. Our first launch team meeting was October 28th, 2018, and we called it Vision Night a little over a year ago. Our first launch team meeting. And then we had monthly launch team meetings after that, and that was the group that was going to get us to start you know, weekly services. Our very first monthly preview service of the well was December 2nd, 2018. So next week is December 1st, the first Sunday of Advent. It'll be a year since we started monthly preview services. We launched weekly services on April 7th of this year. That's the seven and a half months. We had newspaper coverage in the East Valley Tribune and the, the Santan Sun, our very first week of services, if you remember that. We did the United States of America series. We had a photographer here. The reporter at the East Valley Tribune was, I think, legitimately excited by the things we were talking about as a church. You can see why a news reporter would be excited about a thinking, compassionate church that wants to make the world better when a lot of uh, evangelical Christians in the world are, they're not sure if they're for a free press sometimes. You see what I'm saying? You understand why a news media, a journalist, would be excited about the kind of things that we're doing here? We've hosted two guest speakers, Jared and Colby, we conducted our first food drive in July and donated 172 pounds of food to Matthew's Crossing Food Bank here in Chandler. We've had two rounds of six-week connect groups with over half the church participating in those groups. We've had two festivals for children and their families. And last week, we had the highest attendance we've ever had for special guest Colby Martin. What do you think of that? That's seven and a half months. What do you think? What if that is the equivalent of rolling from our bellies to our backs? And we're just getting started. What if we had that kind of vision for the well and what God could do through us, what all of us together could do? Quickly, our mission and values. You've heard these before if you've been around, but our mission is to create a, create a community where thinking, compassionate people can find a spiritual home and cultivate a Jesus-inspired life. In our first membership class, which is the second one's today, later at Panera, but the first membership class in June I remember somebody saying our mission statement was compelling to them because they saw thinking people and following Jesus in the same sentence. And they said, it just seems like we need more of that today in the United States. Christians, people who want to follow Jesus, who can also use their brains. And we don't have to check our brains at the door like you would a jacket in a cold climate. Like we can, we can bring our, our whole selves, including our minds, to our faith. And, and that leads into our values. You're free to express both your faith and your doubts. You saw these on the video earlier before the service. You're free to express your faith and your doubts so that you can grow to become your best self and you can partner with God to make a difference with your life. 
Those are our mission and values here. And then we have internal values that we just kind of use inside to help us create a culture. We value diversity. That's ethnic diversity. It's diversity of thought. It's gender diversity. It's all kinds of diversity. We believe in diversity here. We believe it's actually a strength. That's not just like a talking point that sounds good. We believe that different ideas and different types of people and different backgrounds really do make us stronger. Those are some of the things that we believe in, our mission and values. And so outside of loving my family, this is the most important endeavor of my life. This is what I want to give my life to. If you remember last week, Colby said that he and his wife, Kate, feel this way, and my wife and I certainly do, that we kind of feel like, you know, cheerleaders at times, or that, that um, remember the illustration of the jazz pianist he used, and then there was the promoter, Vera, I think her name was, and she put on the concert, and the jazz pianist had this broken down piano, and he wanted to leave, and she said, no, please stay. It's worth it. Even though it's broken and, and messy, and it's not, it's not everything that you want it to be, and it's not every, everything that you expect it to be, please stay and play. And Colby said, a lot of times church is like that broken down piano. Some of the keys don't work. You know, some, some, we feel that way about church, if you've had negative experiences. But I feel like that Vera saying, no, it's worth it. Stay. And I know many of you feel the same way. It's worth it. Stay. Let's make this happen. There's something worth redeeming here. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's something worth giving our lives for here. There's something our world needs. There's something our country needs here that we have to offer. And so over the past seven and a half months, you know, this is why I work 65 hours a week, sometimes more. It makes it worth it to me. To hear comments like this, I just wanted to read you a couple of things that, that I've heard. I, I get to hear these types of these statements, you know, from people. You don't always get to hear them, but, uh, and there's a lot behind these statements, of course. But I just wanted to read you a little bit of the feedback that we've gotten from some folks here over the past seven and a half months. Somebody emailed me a few months ago after Jared was here. And they said, I find it so fascinating that in a span of a couple of months, I've gone from not worrying about ever picking up the Bible again to actively looking for time to read it. I can see that the well is going to expand as more people like myself slowly open up. Let me fumble around my paper here real quick. Bear with me. In a connect group one time, it was our first round of connect groups. Um, some, we were kind of going around the room and sharing about our stories, what brought us here. And um, a young woman said this and and. And when she made this statement, my mouth just dropped. And, and I just thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be repeating this for the rest of my life. She said this is what she appreciated about the well. And this is a thinking person who has a lot of questions and doubts. And she said, and check this out. She said, this is the first time in my life I've pushed on the door of a church. And it actually opened for me. Isn't that profound? I said, what poetry? <laughs> You're a poet and didn't know it. And like, as soon as she said that, wow, this is the first time I pushed on the door of church and it actually opened for me. And one of our folks here wrote this on Facebook. I finally found what I've been looking for since we moved here in 2011. This church makes me think, this is for building bridges, and it's about inclusion. I'm grateful. This is just, I mean, that's just a smattering, right? There's so many more stories that could be told and, and, and things that people appreciate about the well. And on this Thanksgiving week, are thankful for about the well. And so um, last Saturday night, I picked up Colby at the airport. And uh, he and I went out to, uh, to dinner in Tempe. And, and he and I have known each other for, you know, five or six years we become pretty good friends. I mean, he's in San Diego. We're here. But we get to talk every once in a while, see each other at events. And um, we have similar passions for church um, and why we started churches. And so we, had a, we just had a good discussion. We always do. He asked me how things are going here. I asked him how things are going there. At Sojourn, he asked me how my family is. You know, I asked him how his family is. He asked me what kind of hair product I use, that really did, which I took as a compliment, let's be honest. When you, when you get that question from that guy, not sure he needs that kind of advice from me. It should be the other way around, but he really did ask that. And then we just kind of talked for a while about our experience and our lives and church and how it's going. We talked about how unacceptable it is 
that 1% of Americans leave church every year because they think church leaders are too in bed with partisan politics, hypocritical, anti-science, anti-education, anti-gay, anti-women, and anti-a lot of other things. He and I talked about how unacceptable that is. And like, you know, we said when you paint that vision, your heart beats faster. Like we were sitting at Casey Moore's in Tempe, and our hearts are just kind of beating faster. It's just, it's just not okay that that's the experience that people have of God or Jesus Christ or of church and our culture. We talked about how unacceptable it is that extremists have divided Americans and divided churches and hijacked Jesus for political reasons. We talked about how it's ridiculous. It's astounding. There are sometimes you don't have words for it. Do you remember the old school cartoon Popeye? You remember that? And wasn't there some line, I'm going to butcher it, but he, he would, uh, somebody would flirt with olive oil, is that his, right? And he would say, I've had all I could stands and I can't stands no more. Did I get that right? And then he would eat spinach and, and his forearms would get bigger than his head and it was a ploy to get kids to eat their vegetables and it, it, who knows. I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And Colby and I, over dinner, it was, it was kind of a fire in our guts. As we started to talk about these things, we talked about how unacceptable it is that people who are gay have such a painful time finding a church where they can just participate like everybody else. We, we talked about how ridiculous that is. And it's just not okay. And we talked about um, how unacceptable it is. You've probably heard that quote that when fascism comes to America, it'll be wrapped in a flag and carrying a cross. Have you heard that? And how... And how Jesus and, and the Bible and Christianity will be used, and perhaps we're seeing that, used to prop up an agenda that is entirely 180 degrees the opposite of anything Jesus ever said or did, or I believe wants to do now. And, and how that is happening now on our watch, and how unacceptable that is. To us, and I understand that you know there, you may be in a place where you're deconstructing or reconstructing, and, and maybe you're not sure exactly what it is you believe. And some of us do have a love-hate relationship with church. For some of us, it's hard to be here this morning. Maybe, or maybe you're in a place where you're trying to rebuild. And I understand some of us have questions about Jesus and, and faith and religion and spirituality. And sometimes you ask, "Does religion do more harm than good?" And, and questions like that. But I, I'll, t- I'll tell you this: a lot of times, it's you know. It's evangelical Christians in America that, that get blamed for things. And it, I mean, you know, if you're, if you're polling a group of, of Americans, the, most, uh, the group of people who are most likely to support torture and the death penalty and war, well, unfortunately it comes up as evangelical Christians a lot. And, and people will look at that and they'll say, well, that's just what religion does for you. That's religion for you. That's what, that's what Christianity is. I just want to remind you of some facts. And I think we all know this because we're thinking people here. But this is just something good to talk about real quick. We want to, we want to think just beyond our own country, right? We don't want to be like the typical American who only knows what's happening in America. Are you with me right now? Right? So we want to think beyond that. Here's the truth. In much of the world, Christian people are not right-wing extremists. In, I was in Nicaragua for a mission trip a few years ago. Evangelical Christians and Catholic Christians often in Central America are socialists. I don't know if you do that or not. But it just kind of, it just, and I'm, well, I'm not saying one's good and one's bad. I'm just saying it just kind of chips away at this stereotype that we have uh, about Christians in our current political situation in the United States. And then also you'll look at Christians in America and you'll think, man, I see these, you know, there's this authoritarianism and, and are we marching toward Fascism, what's actually happening in our country? And so, well, those Christians, all about religion. Well, the truth is that in Europe, where church attendance is in single digits, and, and you know, Bible-believing Christians have very little influence in the culture, those right-wing movements are building there too. It, it, fascism, of course, you know, the 
came from Germany and Italy where there wasn't that big of an emphasis on religiosity the way there is now in America. And so while it's easy to say, well, it's the Christians. If you just bring religion into it and the Bible, well, then that just leads to what we're seeing now. But that's really not the case. That's our situation in our country right now. But there are examples of people who are following Jesus and they love the Bible and they want to do good things and they have opposite views of the stereotypical Christian view in America. Does any of this make sense? And so I think it's just important for us as people who want to follow Jesus to have a bigger view of the world than just America and how Christianity and politics seems to work in America because it's different in other parts of the world. It doesn't have to be that way, but Colby and I talked about how, well, it certainly seems to be that way here. And as we commiserated a little bit, invented a little bit, we got to a place in our conversation where we, we, we both know this and we just kind of started to go this direction. We have the ability to do something about that. We're not powerless. We're not left without a choice. We're not, we're not bound to just throw our hands up and say there's nothing we can do and let Jesus that I believe is worth holding on to be hijacked and used for political purposes. It doesn't have to be that way. What if, what if, and I know it sounds crazy, maybe it is, but what if years from now, and it might take years, because of your efforts here, all of us at the well and and Sojourn and lots of other churches, it'll take lots of communities. What if years from now, when somebody's child or teenager or college student, they hear the word church, they hear the word Christian, they hear the name Jesus, and the first thing that pops into their heads, like, oh, those thoughtful, compassionate people who want to make this world better, and they're accepting, and they love people, and they they make the world better, they love their city, and they make the world better wherever they are. What if that could happen? I told you it might sound crazy, right? But what if that could happen because of communities like this? And it would take hundreds of us, thousands of us all over the country. But what if that could be a vision? What if that's the the picture? Maybe we are crazy, but if we are, so be it. We'd rather go for that picture and fail then just go with the status quo or do nothing and, and let Jesus continue to be hijacked and see where, that, see where it goes. I don't think it's a mystery where, that, where that's headed in our country if good people do nothing. Or we could paint this picture and we could say that's a vision that makes our hearts beat faster. We get excited about that. We're willing to sweat for that. We're willing to sacrifice for that. We're willing to throw our backs out, pushing heavy carts around. We're willing to spread the word and invite and do all and give and, and volunteer and do all the things necessary to make that a reality. What if people could hear that when they hear the words Jesus or church or Christian? So our vision, well, our website says we believe that churches like the well are needed in every metropolitan area in America. We believe that God is calling us to help start like-minded churches especially in the Southwest, what could that really look like? In the coming years, I envision us having a a permanent home. I like the school and all, but I envision us having a permanent home, a home base. I don't know how long that'll take, but a a home base that could be uh, a hub where, of course, we would meet as a community and it would be a place where we can do outreach in our community and host lots of good causes there. It could also be a place where we spread good content all over the country. We have a video camera back there right now that in the service will get live streamed eventually and it gets put on Facebook now and then you guys like that and share it. And it's not just about Sunday mornings, obviously. It's bigger, our church is bigger than that. But through the use of technology having a headquarters, and then just spreading that content, all music, small group content, ideas, 
some of you lead ministry teams here. You'll share your ideas, and that would benefit other churches like us. And we can just share that content, give it away to help like-minded churches come into existence and to thrive. Maybe it looks like um, us being a top-of-mind church in Chandler and in the Southeast Valley. This might sound nerdy to you. If it is, it's just part of my charm. But what if we had near 100% name recognition in this area? Right now, we have a good thing going on. And, and it will, you know, a lot of the room was full last week. It's pretty good this week, actually. Good job. But once again, we're only seven and a half months old. What if at some point in the future, we have nearly 100% name recognition in this area? Here's what that would mean. When, when people think of good things that are happening in this community, or if you're looking for a spiritual connection and people who are thinking compassionate people and you, you want to grow and thrive, if you're here for any amount of time, you think of the well. What if we could be that visible in this area? That's a big statement, actually. What would it look like for us to get there to where practically everybody knows the, the, the amazing things that are happening at the well. I envision us making a major difference in the lives of people here in, in need in our city and across the valley. I envision starting like-minded communities around the Southwest, and I envision us being an inspiration to churches all over the country. To some people, when they hear me say something like that, seven and a half months in, there are two mega churches down the street of like 5,000 people, they hear a statement like that, and they're like, sure, pal. And it's just kind of a pipe dream. And, and I love it when people, even if they don't say it, when they might be thinking, are you sure that's not just kind of a pipe dream there, pal? Are you shooting a little high there, pal? I love it when people at least even think that because I, I get to say things like this. Eight months ago, the only thing in here on the weekend were like bits of grilled cheese sandwiches. And last week, there were a hundred and some people wall to wall in this room. And this week, on Thanksgiving week, when some people start traveling, and it's always, you know, after we have a big week in church, there's a small week after that. It looks pretty good. Thanks for coming back. Thank you for being here today. Your presence is important. There's a church here. Eight months ago, there was grilled cheese here. Now there's a church here. Poof. And people, well, you have such a vision. You have this vision for the future. How are you ever going to accomplish that? I'd be like, bruh, there was nobody here. Eight months ago, we're blowing spit bubbles. We can grab our toes. This is nothing yet. Be honest. This is part time. This is this is nothing yet. Scripture says, "Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, what God has prepared for people who love Him." The, the, the pastor of the largest church in America was kind enough to give me some time on the phone. He did not owe that to me by any stretch of the imagination. And remember this quote I gave it back in our, in our preview service days. He said, we tend to overestimate what we can accomplish in the short term. And we tend to underestimate what we can do in the long term. If you're a note taker, if you want to take a photo of the screen, feel free. Because when you write your vision statement, whatever it is, your business, your venture, your family, your personal growth statement, this is one for the ages. We tend to overestimate what we can do in the short term, and we tend to underestimate what we can do in the long term. As you dream without an edit button, and you think about what God's calling you to, and that you paint that picture of a preferred future that inspires you and makes your heart beat faster and produces passion, and you remember this when you're discouraged, when you feel like you want to give up. We all do this. And this can motivate you to keep on going. So I'm just going to speed through a couple of things real quickly, and then we're going to get to a, somebody I want to talk with here for a few minutes uh, to wrap up. So what does this look like for us in the next year? Here's why it's not a pipe dream. Here's what it looks like in the next year. We want to do three things over the next year to really take major steps toward this vision. This vision could take years to accomplish. But in the next year, here's some believable, reasonable steps that we can take. We want to build up our city. We want to build leaders within the well, and we want to build awareness of the well. So build up our city. Here's what I mean when I say this, and some of you may feel like this is connected to your personal vision statement. Maybe you might want to get involved with building up our city. So 
We had a food drive here in July, 172 pounds of food. It weighed the back of my truck down, taking it to Matthew's Crossing. A couple of times a year, we're going to uh, raise, uh, conduct a food drive for them. Maybe around February, we're going to do a thing called Bag Hunger, which will go door to door, no knocking on the door. Okay, please hear me, no knocking on the door. We'll place a recycled paper bag on the door handle with a, with a door hanger. And it'll explain where people from the well, we're collecting food from Matthew's Crossing Food Bank. We're going to come back in a week between these times, and we'll pick up the bag and, and take it to Matthew's Crossing Food Bank for you. So July, we'll have food bins here. February, we'll go door to door because it's a good time of year. That does a few things. First of all, it raises food for them. Secondly, it communicates that there's a church near here that cares about our city and wants to build up our city. And yes, it, it also does build awareness of the well. But you get the idea. Just things like that. I'm speeding through because we're, we're running out of time. There are other ways to get involved in building up our city. There's, a, there's an organization called For Our City. And they mobilize all kinds of church, uh, churches, businesses, and they partner with local government in the Southeast Valley to provide services for people who need it. Um, there are about 30 people in Chandler who experience homelessness, who are now housed and fed every night of the week because of this program. It's one of the most successful programs in the country. It's called iHelp. We can help with that in some way. Um, there are programs they have where they'll help to clean up the yard of an elderly person who's physically not able to do it anymore. We can jump in like that. You can donate shoes for the back-to-school you know, supply drive that for our city hosts. Maybe that kind of thing makes your heart beat faster. That's the kind of thing we want to, to start doing more over the next year of the well. We want to build leaders within the well. We have an amazing team of people uh, who, on Sunday mornings, who blow through here and transform this space and, and lead all of our ministries. But we need leaders in lots of areas and people who are willing to serve. Maybe audio, video, they need help. Um, assistance in well kids, a leader of our greeting ministry, a leader of our road crew. Um, we have connect group leaders, but we'll always need more of them. And so maybe volunteering in some way, maybe that kind of makes your heart beat faster. And so we want to build up leaders within the well, and then we want to build awareness of the well. Over the next few months, and we already do social media, we run targeted ads, Google, Facebook, some of you are here because of those ads, Instagram. But over the next few months, I want to conduct a social media campaign. This is just one little part. Not everything rests on social media, but one little part where we'll take a good picture of you and give us two or three sentences about what you love about the well, why you're part of the well, and uh, we'll put, you know, put that statement on the photo, Inst you know, square Instagram photo of you and that statement, and just plaster that thing across the Southeast Valley through Instagram and Facebook. And the power of that is you're tell telling your story. So just for example, uh, one, uh, one way to build awareness. Another way is, as a pastor and the other leaders in our church, I want to partner with you as a congregation. This is kind of my pledge to partner with you. And this is what I meant when I said last week, you've, you've already done it. You already get it. So just we're talking about doing more of this. I want to partner with you to make it easier for you to spread the word about the well. So last week, Colby, was, he's an amazing author and has an inspiring message. That's kind of a softball to you, you know? And, and you hit it out of the park. You invited people. The same thing with Jared. It would be great. And what we really need to happen as a, as a new church, as we grow, we need to continually have things that make it easy to invite people to. Does this all make sense? And so guest speakers are a part of that. The uh, kids' spring blast with the inflatables and all this kind of stuff. We added a food truck in October. That seems like so long ago. It was like three weeks ago. And it seems like forever when we had that fall festival. So we're just looking to grow that. Now, twice a year, we're just going to have this festival. It's something to invite people to. Advent starts next week. It's a time of year where people think about higher things and greater things around Christmas time. Christmas Eve is, if you do it right, it's the biggest service of the year for a church. And so the next big thing after Colby is Christmas Eve. If you could start to think about, man, who could I invite to our Christmas Eve candlelight service? December 24th, 5 p.m. here. And it's uh, going to be a, a night of inspiration, beautiful music, Christmas music. Our kids are going to sing a couple of songs. 
I'm going to give a message on your Christmas story in 2019. It's going to speak about the things that we're all facing in our culture, something that's uplifting and inspirational. We're going to close the service by singing Silent Night by Candlelight together. And so that, if, if, can I ask you this? Can I make this request? Will you invite people to Christmas Eve the way you invited people last week? Will you share the word, word of mouth and, and social media and just get that, that, that message out there that Christmas Eve is the next big opportunity for us to partner together to invite people to something? So I want to start to, um, I want to get to the highlight of the sermon, first of all, and then we're going to wrap it up with that highlight. Um, Pam Parkinson has been a, an important part of my church life for several years, six or seven years we've known each other now. You know Pam is the person who will not let you buy that table without a name tag. She's perfect at it. Um, She's passionate about community and connecting people and that your name is important. And that's why she does that. Um, uh, She has been a leader in uh, churches that I've been a part of in the city of Chandler. I want to give her a little bit of a bio and then bring her up here in a minute. Pam's lived in Chandler for 30 years. She's a big proponent of small business. She runs a doTERRA business. She's a mom, a Grammy, and a health nut. She's been in the Chandler Chamber of Commerce for 22 years. She thrives on connection in her spare time. I don't know how she has any spare time with all the things she does, but she likes to go to car shows. She likes to eat delicious food. She likes to keep her plants alive. And she likes to write clear name tags. All right. Right before I bring her up, I want to tell one story. When uh, I was first getting to know Pam, she invited me to this Chandler Chamber of Commerce event several years ago. And it was at a school like this, and it was this big meeting. I don't know how many business leaders were there, but it was a lot. And uh, just kind of a big deal in the city of Chandler. There were, you know, the city officials were there, and just everybody who's who in Chandler, they were there. And she invited me to this event, and I walked in the the door, and, um, oh, hey, Pam, good good to see you. Thanks for inviting me. I had no idea this was going to happen. She grabbed the microphone, and she went up and led the whole thing. As, oh, now I get it. You're the leader of this whole operation. And so Pam is one of the most visible leaders in the city of Chandler. Uh, she, she's known, and it's good because she's a great person. And we need more Pams in this world. But she's going to share, as we close today, about the power of the personal invite. Let's, let's welcome Pam. Come on up, Pam. One of my favorite people on the planet. You come up to this stool. I'm going to grab a microphone for you. This one right here, yep. And um, a few weeks ago, you can grab a seat, a little comfy here. Um, a few weeks ago, Pam, you and I had a conversation about, you know, starting something new. Sorry. That's all good. Go back on the chair. Uh, yes, I, I, hear, I hear you. Um, we had a conversation about um, starting something new and spreading the word. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we had an amazing conversation. And so... I just said to Pam, would you be willing to say that to all of us? Just talk about the importance of the personal invite and how to effectively invite people. Um, and because um, you've done it over and over and over again and you've seen the results. So I'm just like, three, two, one, go. I don't, does this work? Everybody here, Pam? That's right. They can hear you. So I think there's a new bumper sticker afoot from Cheesy to Church. Ooh. Come okay. to the well. Uh, well, that would be appropriate for there me, you probably, Somehow, actually. Somehow, you know, thinking of the cross. You've captured my essence. That's right. So we've all heard that expression, liar, liar, pants on fire. Everything he said about me, there's a whole lot of that that's not true. They give me the microphone for about 15 minutes a month. You can't, like, own the city with that. But thank you for that. In any case, um, our history together, um, I just have such respect for all these amazing young people that start churches. And I was at a Chandler Chamber of Commerce event, and a young man was there. And when he got the microphone, he said, hey, I'm building a church through social media and networking. And I was like, say what? Because that was like 10 years ago. And I thought, I'm following him. And I did. And... uh, at one point, he introduced you, and he said, hey, here's a guy I know, he's starting his own church, and I remember Ryan went up and yacked, and Hannah sat there with Graham on her lap, he was a little muffin, and now, as you know, he's surfing, for crying out loud, that's been a long time, and uh, I remember saying to myself, wow, if this thing I'm doing right now comes unraveled, I'm following him, 
and it unraveled. And the first time I followed you was in this very room. Oh my gosh. And there's nothing that smells like a school cafeteria. Do you agree? <laughs> and you were, except we were going this way. You were over there and I was over here. And uh, it's, what can I say? The man's already working 65 hours a week. He's got, you know, a family and businesses. And it is our job to toot the horn of something good. Toot the horn, right? So um, we're all here. Somehow we got here. And when I got to thinking about what is the well, I think we show up here because why does anybody go to a well? Because you're thirsty. I walked in the door. I think I was thirsting for something. I don't know what you were thirsting for, but many of us are looking for tribe and community. And when you, um, I didn't even read what the website is. I don't even think I've ever seen the website. I don't even know where to go to see a website. But I know from what I had said that this was a good thing. And um, when it comes to extending inv invitations to people, I think the number one reason that people don't invite people to their church, to be honest with you, we just don't think about it. You know, when you're here, you're in the moment, you're having a great experience, and then you walk out the door and you get consumed by, you know, life. And you get, you know, nothing can prepare you for flying monkeys, right? And uh, there's a lot of them out there. You know, they, they jump me every week, and we don't think about it. So I think that's the first thing is that we kind of have to remember to talk to people. Number two, um, a lot of times inviting people to a church can feel awkward because we don't know what's going on in people's lives. And so that would be the second thing that I would say is don't overthink this thing. I mean, I don't know about you, but even if somebody chooses not to come, they still would feel be fat or invited. And it's not our job to look at them and go, well, you know, is he thirsty enough? Does he want this? Is he already going to a church? Would he think I'm snitching him from his church? It's not our job to think of any of that. Um, because guess what? We've got a good thing here. And we don't know who needs what we have. Some of us in this room, um, because you can't tell by looking at people, um, people are having a tough time. And coming somewhere, um, where there is good, community is good. Um, one example, um, I don't even know how long ago it was, a few months ago, when you gave that series on the um, big screen, the movie thing, I invited my neighbor to come, because I thought, what the heck, I'll invite my neighbor to come. And he said, wow, you know, I haven't set foot in a church in 25 years. And not that he set his foot in here a second time, but I got him here the first time. And he watched. And it actually spurred him to go home and watch A Star is Born, because <laughs> he'd never seen it. Like, who doesn't see A Star is Born? And he paid this church the ultimate compliment. And he said, you were right. Nobody told me what to think and what to believe. And that's what he was scared of. Obviously, he'd been tattooed, barbecued, and toasted by some kind of organized religion, that he's not one of those people that he can be told what to think. Um, so that said something about inviting. Um, I think that in being inclusive, we do need to invite people. So I'll tell you my funniest all-time story about inviting. Um, I happen to have a son who's a musician. Um, he plays the clarinet for a living. And when he was up at NAU and he had his senior recital, and he said, Ma, you ought to come. I said, great. I said, who comes to this? And he says, nobody. I said, what do you mean nobody? He said, Ma, it's a clarinet concert. He said there's students there that are required as part of their grade to show up and a few professors. And I said, so let me see if I heard you right. You have busted your caboose for all these years and you're gonna do this great senior performance and there's a handful of people that are nearly being paid to show up because it's part of their grade and he goes, yep. And I said, we need to do something about this. So what did his mother do? I chartered a bus for crying in a bucket. And I talked to people at the current church I had. And I was like, hey, I got this boy of mine. And he's doing this thing. And so how would you like to jump on a bus, drive to Flagstaff? And I, I sold tickets to the bus. <laughs> 35 bucks a pop, get yourself on the bus. We even had a Chinese buffet there at the end before we came back. And it was so funny because his clarinet professor had heard about this. And he looked at me and he's like, who are you? <laughs> and I said, um, I love my boy. I love what you've done with my boy. And I just don't think that people should perform. So there were 60 people on that bus. And that's got to be 15 or 20 years ago. People right. still talk yeah. about that. That's right. So why do I tell you the story? Because it's so much easier to get people here than to a clarinet concert. 
I'm not asking you to fill a bus. <laughs> All we need to do is just get one or two happy little people here. And, um, you know, whether it's social media, whether it's tapping somebody on the shoulder, whether it's a post-it note on a computer screen for a neighbor, because, you know, people are thirsting for what we have here. They just don't know about it. So, yeah, yeah. there you go. You see why I invited Pam up here? <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you so much. You are so Thank welcome. You. All right. Can you give me a hug? Yes. There's no switch. I'll take it. Yes. All Let's right. thank Pam one more time. Thank you so much. Do I back off? Well, it's your, at your own risk. So, you've already, there you go. You've already done uh, an amazing job at the kinds of things we're talking about. You showed it last week. We flexed our muscles last week, and you've already done that. So, Christmas Eve is the next opportunity. So, who would that person be? Who would those people be that they might want the kind of community. They might be interested in that. Would you start inviting them the way that you did last week? Christmas Eve candlelight service here, 5 p.m. And um, later today, uh, 1 o'clock at Panera, we're having our second participating membership class. We had a bunch of people go through the first class, but if you've come since then and you're interested in being a part of the team that makes the well a reality, I want to invite you to Panera. It's kind of pay for your own. If you want to grab coffee or lunch, that's up to you, but we're just going to hang out there. Take about 45 minutes to an hour. We're going to talk about what the well is, some of the stuff we talked about today, and, and then how to really be a part of it. There's no obligation, but just want to invite you uh, to membership class at 1 o'clock today. Um, as I close, Susie, would you mind putting that Acts chapter 13 verse up there? I kind of shared my personal mission statement that I'm working on. The Apostle Paul started churches, and he went from you know, city to city. And... Um, and this is just a guide for me, and I think for our church, and maybe for you too. Paul's talking about the history of, of Scripture, and he's leading up to Jesus, and he just makes this statement. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Now, what does that mean? He died. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he died. And he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And he went on to proclaim the faith. And then in verse 49, it says, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. For me, this is just a guide. As I think about my own personal vision statement, what I want for my family, and what God wants for this church. What if at the end of our lives, we're able to say, I mean, think about this for a second. If you've painted a picture and you've bled and, and you've, you've sweat and you've, you've cried tears and you've worked hard, it made your heart beat faster and you laid your head down on the pillow at night and that day you knew you really lived and you did that in pursuit of your vision and you get to the end and you were able to say, I served God's purpose in my generation. How powerful would that be? And is there anything less worth living for? I don't think so. My own life as a church, that's what I want said about me. I serve God's purpose in my generation. I plan to be cremated. I don't know where you'd etch that. I don't have any stone or anything in mind. But man, I'd like that to be said about me. How about you? And as a church, if that could be said about the well, we serve God's purpose in our generation.